artist you want, Barry. What do you want? You you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I see dead people. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it! My life has value! Filmmaking Conversations with Damien Swayde is part of the critical conversations currently taking place across the film community. The podcast reaches out to the next generation of filmmakers who continue to look for inspiration and guidance. Remember to hit the subscribe button and leave a comment in the comments section. Share the podcast with friends and family and have a great day. And now over to the host of the show, Damien Swaby. Becky, how are you today? I am great. Thank you so much for having me on. It's quite an honor. I was very lucky because I was on Twitter and and someone liked or retweeted your piece and I saw it and I thought... My real. My yeah, real? You're real. Proud to present a clip from my self-written and produced dramedy scene. That's what you yes. tweeted. And for some of us that are unsure, tell us, what is a dramedy scene? Yes. That was actually inspired by one of my favorite shows. Um, on Twitter, you're always trying to capture the attention of um, showrunners from TV shows that you aspire to be cast in one day. And I'm infatuated with a million little pieces to write and produce and cast that tribute to his show. So I tried to mirror the look and the rhythm of the series. And um, he actually responded when I posted and tagged him in it. So I feel like we accomplished something, definitely. <laughs> you certainly did. And the look of it is brilliant. But before we talk about the look and the piece itself, tell us, how did you become an actress? I began as a child actor, um, largely in musical theater, which tragically, um, <laughs> I, I uh, was somewhat successful at it. Um, I, I guess I had a, a natural gift for singing. And I started to lose my hearing very rapidly. Uh, shortly after, I had gotten two final callbacks for the new Mickey Mouse Club and Star Search and all of those great 90s shows for um, child singers. And I have a hereditary hearing loss in my family. It's a very strong gene. And it definitely uh, started to affect me um, pretty much junior high age. So I was rendered a tone deaf singer and it just wasn't really working for me anymore. So I turned my attention on um, acting and I was really taken with dramatic acting, uh, comedy, the the timing involved with comedy. I mean, you, you can't be good if you can't just 
nail the timing, rapid fire, reacting to what another person is saying. And you can imagine someone who has difficulty hearing might not be the most gifted at comedic acting, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, but drama, I feel like growing up deaf, and this is prior to hearing aids, prior to cochlear implants, I... You know, just basic conversation, especially in groups of, you know, more than two people, it required such intense um, listening skills way beyond verbal listening. You know, you are fixated on body signals, facial signals, um, trying to get context clues from what they are saying beyond their words, because you may not be hearing all the words that I feel like it has made me a better scene partner and more authentically receptive to my scene partner. Um, and, and really developing empathy beyond maybe what a normal hearing person would. So I, I feel very, I guess blessed <laughs> that I lost my hearing, um, especially now that it has been restored. So how old was you when you lost your hearing and how old was you once you started to make progress in the world of acting? I would say I had 15 minutes of fame uh, after I had lived in Los Angeles for about eight years. I went out there first for uh, college and I through self-submission, it was purely just luck. It was a stroke of luck. I got cast in an ABC episodic. It was a one-hour drama called Gideon's Crossing. And they cast me as a daughter to Academy Award-winning deaf actress Marley Matlam. It was an incredible experience. The episode was actually, um, I, I played a 14 year old and I was 25 at the time. Yes, that's Hollywood, right? Wow. You've got some good <laughs> um, genes. Yeah, it's amazing. And um, I had two deaf parents and we were battling over my decision to get cochlear implants because they felt, and this is a, a common theme in the deaf community that cochlear implants are kind of, a backlash um, and go against deaf culture saying, um, you know, I don't want to be deaf anymore, that being hearing is better than being deaf, which I don't believe at all. I feel like what's right for you is right for you. Um, but shortly after that episode aired, I actually underwent bilateral cochlear implant surgery and um, so I, I just feel like that's an incredible story in itself. And what story, I'm sorry, <clears throat> bear with me. And what exactly is the process like to restore your hearing? It's, it's a huge gamble. Um, you are basically bandaged up like the elephant man um, with absolutely no sensation of sound whatsoever for about a month while your, um, you know, incisions heal. It, it is surgery and they go in and basically restore your cochlea. 
with a bionic piece. So <laughs> the day comes when you go to your hookup and you hear sound for the first time. And it is a very strange and robotic sound. And your brain, over the course of months, a year, it begins to process the noise and understand. And, and it's, it is the most, I, I can't explain the sensation, but you actually hear sounds of people's voices change gradually from robotic to actual human sounding voices. Um, and, and it changes daily. Um, the more you listen, you actually experience the, the transition of, of how, I guess the synapses in your brain are picking up those vibrations. And um, I was fortunate, I, I recalled sound from when I was younger, but people who are born completely deaf, it doesn't work out for some of them. Tragically, I, I had a friend who was one of the first implantees and she could not handle the new sound and she chose to take them off and just never put them on again, her processors. So she lives in complete silence now. And, you know, like I said, um, what's right for you is right for you. And I'm so happy you were able to make the right choice for you. Um, oh, I'm thank incredibly you. <laughs> glad to be able to speak to you and have been able to watch the piece we first discussed. Now, when you make such a piece for your own showreel benefits in ways like that, what exactly is the process like for you? Do you cast the project first? Do you bring on crew first? What do you do to make your showreel piece come alive? I can only speak of my experience. I, I began researching actual companies that specialize in real production and they were so immensely expensive. Um, I happened to learn of a very gifted director of shoots on red in my area. I'm, I'm Houston based and he had worked with my nephew and shot some music videos for my nephew's band. And I saw his work. I saw a short film he did. And I immediately knew that this was a person I wanted to work with. Um, he was extremely collaborative. Um, I said, I'm going to write it myself. I, I know myself and my strengths and the character that I can embody the best and really showcase my talent. So I started writing something and um, it freely flew out in an hour. I had the scene written and it started out much longer. The whole piece is two and a half minutes that is edited down immensely. Uh, we went through a million revisions. Um, I found my scene partner through a Facebook group and I needed a sister 
And I just, I really liked her essence. Um, I liked that she was also a mother. And I just kind of felt like we would work together really well. Um, so we actually, I, well, okay, I have actually developed four additional scenes with the same cast. Uh, we have two other characters that that real piece was based on. Um, and I am, intend to turn it into a web series or a short film. Wow. So I, I have bigger dreams for that, <laughs> definitely. And good, so you should. I mean, tell us, yes. what exactly was the day like? Because it's very exciting when you set up to film something and, in, and it's close to your heart. What was the day like? Did it run smoothly? Did you encounter any problems with cast or crew? Oh my goodness. Um, no problems with crew whatsoever. My partner, <laughs> my scene partner, um, I think she, okay, what we debated mostly about was who was getting more lines in the scene. And the difficulties that we're facing is that we both needed whatever scene we ended up with to showcase both of us equally because we were both splitting the cost. Ah, and yes. And also for a reel, you want to be sure that if you have a scene partner that is very much the same character type, the same casting type, that you don't feature them really at all. Um, they maybe you show their mouth in an extreme close-up, their eye in an extreme close-up. You don't want a full face that's considered something confusing for a casting director that might look at your reel. Like, who am I supposed to be watching? Who am I casting? Who am I considering? So because we looked so similar, we were very mindful of that and um the editing was extremely important. And that was probably the most difficult part, getting to two separate clips that were extremely effective for both actors. And are you still friends now? Yes, we are. <laughs> we're actually planning on doing a comedic scene together. Ah, when so, are you planning yes. to do this? We always uh, give ourselves a deadline. So before summer, we want to have it up on our profiles. A lot of people come in on the podcast, they discuss the importance of deadlines to get work out and to, to work towards a project. Why are yes. deadlines important to you? Why have you decided this summer instead of maybe this fall? We just, we had to have some sort of deadline. <laughs> and because we are both mothers, she actually has three children and I have two. So summer is very difficult for moms. <laughs> we were like, we're going to get this done while the kids are in school. Oh, it's, it's as simple as that. I see. And your on-screen presence is very great. I mean, the camera loves you. I know that for certain. And oh, my goodness. That means so much. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Not a problem at all. But one of the things that comes to mind when I saw your work is, and read about your work is like, I, when I was an actor, I used to really enjoy doing commercials. I found them to be great fun. Um, and you, I agree. And you've done so many commercials. I mean, what was it like doing a commercial for people like Visa 
and Levi's 501 and, and Reebok and tell us about those type of experiences. The Levi's commercial was actually shot in a tiny little town outside of Houston and it was shot in black and white and I remember they had brought in two amazing actors from LA. They were both models and I had no idea what I had been invited to partake in. I had no idea it went on and won um, what is the huge advertising award. Um, I cannot for the life of me think of the name of it. It's the, the most esteemed honor for a commercial. Um, and it aired on BBC. It was actually a British commercial. Oh. And it, it is now fully searchable on the internet. It was one of the most loved and memorable commercials ever. It's the watch, the watch clock commercial for Levi's 501. Beautiful. It's beautifully shot. Um, the director went on to do many more very impressive things. Um, Reebok was my first lead speaking role. I still remember that experience. That's, I believe, when I finally felt like I was going to do this for a career. What made you think you'd finally do it for a career? I just, I think it was the first, my first casting, um, for one thing, and just being the lead and uh, being made to feel so important and being on the set and, and feeling how alive a film set is. And just, I, I, I just ate it up. I loved every second of it. And I, I said, this is what life is about. <laughs> this yes. is my passion. So with your commercials, do you have a separate agent for commercials or do you have an agent that deals in everything for your career? Well, for commercial casting, you really have to be local to the market because, you know, the auditions come up and you have to be there the next day. They they don't do self-tapes. I, I don't think, I'm not sure if they'll ever get there, like theatrical, but so my commercials are in Texas and I have been with the same agent since I was 11 years old. Wow. I'm very loyal to them. They treat me well. We have an understanding. I've been through, I believe, three name changes with them. Um, my first manager as a child actor was ac actually a partner at that agency before she broke off and became a manager. So long history. They are family. They are family. Do, do you get Christmas cards? I do. Gifts, Christmas cards. Um, yes. I, I think I probably bug them a little too much. I'm <laughs> a little too friendly with them. But you yourself, what makes you want to stay with an agent? If you, if you don't mind me asking, I mean, you've been there since you're 11 and now you're an adult lady with kids. So they've gone on a journey with you. What's made you want to keep them on this journey? Um, for me, well, you know, my specific situation in Houston, it's not like LA, not like New York. You have a handful of agencies and they have come and gone in this market. 
but my agency has endured. Um, they are one of the only SAG franchise agencies. I may be mistaken, but I believe they are the only remaining SAG after a franchise agency, specifically in Houston. Oh my gosh, so only one. It wasn't a hard decision. <laughs> so if there's only one, what is the situation with acting like in, in Houston? It's Austin Market and Dallas is rather lively. A lot of indie films um, happening, much more higher profile seem to be coming. Um, I'm actually a new co-chair for SAG-AFTRA for industry outreach. And we are working extremely hard. We have a new president who's very gung-ho. She's very proactive. And we are trying to bring more union production to Texas. Um, there are some new Amazon series shooting in and around Austin. Houston is more commercial, more industrial, more print. But Austin for me is just a hop, skip, and a jump away. So <laughs> oh, that's... I, I feel like there's, there's enough um, to keep me somewhat satisfied, but I do have representation elsewhere. Um, I, I like to, uh, I'm an opportunist, so. <laughs> I'd like to hear it, and I'm, I'm glad you are. Have you ever thought about maybe making that move to Los Angeles? I lived there for eight years. Ah, what was that like? Um, well, four was for college. Um, I had moderate success out there. It's, it's a very tough city to live in as a 20-something actress. Um, you can get in a lot of trouble. I was very lucky. I managed to survive it and never intended to move. Um, I planned to be there for the duration, but I just did not fare well there. Um, mentally. So <laughs> I came back and got myself stronger and uh, came home. And I've just found that this situation I'm in now with all the support of my family, the ability to travel when needed, and just being able to visit there and not have to survive the daily trappings of LA just seemed to work better for me. So it's that balance, isn't it, when you make that decision, family and career um, being equal and being something that is vitally important to you rather than giving everything up for LA? Am I right by saying? Yes. Yes, absolutely. That is spot on. <laughs> so any of the kids, have you got any hopes or dreams for them to be a part of the acting scene? I think I don't wish that for them at all. Um, it comes with a lot of anguish. And, um, you know, there are so many negatives to it as well. You really, it, it has to be this passion innately born in you to be able to um, 
get through the down days, get through the rejection, remain strong. So I, I feel like unless you are 3,000% in it and you still love every second of the actual performance, the actual acting part of it, and um, you are okay with the reality that the work is all of the auditioning, all of the networking, all of the daily grind, and an occasional reward is actually being cast, and you're okay with that, and you're still excited about it every day that it's just not for you. You know, you should just find, <laughs> find another way to make yourself happy. Um, because it, it's hard. It's a hard life. It certainly is. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I know that. And now I'm firmly behind the camera and, and behind the mic because it can be challenging and people like you who have done it for so long, I truly respect you for it because I know the challenges you must face at times. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's um, it's just for the love of acting. For the love of it's, it. You feel alive. If, if it's your passion, it makes you feel alive. It does. And there were so many passionate people that felt alive at the Oscars recently, in the 2020 Oscars. But someone like yes. Cher LeBoff got criticized for his impatient, impatience with his uh, co-star that presented an award for best live action short. And the guy, Zach, he suffers from a disability himself. He suffers from Down syndrome and he wants to be a part of the acting world and the filmmaking world, like many others. You have suffered what you've inherited and overcome it. For people that haven't done so, what type of advice could you give them? I had a conversation with an agent and my my situation, the the reality of being disabled, but not stereotypically disabled. I don't fit the mold of Hollywood's portrayal of a hearing impaired or deaf person. She said, "You don't sign," and no, I don't. And that was the right choice for me. I was mainstreamed. I was encouraged not to sign. I was encouraged to be verbal. I was encouraged to develop very astute lip reading abilities. Um, just because I, I think, you know, partially it was my parents wanting me to not be limited. And I'm not saying that as a negative, but you are limited in your ability to interact with the hearing world if you are just a signer you okay i'm gonna stop there <laughs> i don't want to say anything offensive because i feel like asl's beautiful language i feel like deaf culture is is fascinating and um it's just like any other culture i i love learning about everything um and now I'm completely off on a tangent and I've forgotten my turn. <laughs> okay, so I, I was speaking with this agent and they have a huge diversity department. They are probably one of the most well-known 
diversity talent agencies in the nation. They're based out of Los Angeles. I have been courting them for more than two years and I finally gained some interest. And that was the first thing she asked me, do you sign? Are you fluent in ASL? And I said, no, I am deaf. I am authentically deaf, but I do not sign. I, and I explained why. And I said, that's right for me. And I said, I want to work with you. I want us together to get me cast in things as a deaf person that looks like this, because this is what I look like. We don't all sign. We don't, um, you know, we, some of us speak, some of us have clear speech. And I think just like all of the other ways that we are starting to see stereotypes broken in film and TV, thank goodness, that we can do the same for deaf actors. I completely agree. And I'm, I'm glad that certain stereotypes are being break, broken down. But if, if a, a, a deaf actress approached you and said, I'm going in for an audition, can you help me out here? What kind of tips would you give? Oh my goodness. Okay. So she is a signer. Uh, no, just the same as yourself. Did I lose you? Oh, there you are. Okay. It dropped for a second. Okay. So the actress it dropped was, for a second. was just the same as yourself. What type of tips could you give? Don't, don't let them tell you that you need to sign for the part of a deaf person. Um, tell them I am deaf and this is what I look like. I want my chance too. <laughs> Brilliant. Put your foot down. Yes. I'm, I'm not yes. sure. Do you have that expression in America? In England, it means uh, basically you're not going to take any shit. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Amen, brother. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to shoot. We're going to have to uh, love you and leave you. It's been absolutely amazing speaking to you. And I really hope when you do your piece in the summer, you're able to send it over to me and perhaps we can get you back on the show and we can discuss that and any other great work that you've been doing. Well, I will certainly do that. I'm excited to challenge myself in the comedic genre. Um, it's going to be a really wonderful challenge for me. <laughs> Becky, actor, writer, producer, thank you so much. I will be speaking soon.